0: Hey, Everybody, welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host Corey Peterson. I have got a show for you today, my friends. I have my great friend Rondi Lambeth uh, of Fortress Credit Repair. He's been in the credit r- repair business, um, turning uh, making diamond or, uh, pieces of coal turn into diamonds with their credit for the past eleven years, and and uh, more importantly, he's been investing in real estate for twenty nine years. Right. He has a wealth of information. Um, we are just we just actually did our first deal together, and uh, we're out there crushing it. So, uh, Ronnie, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, thanks for having me on, Corey. Appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, so um, just before, so we can give a little bit of backstory of the history of who you are and what you do. I, I want you to give uh, my audience just kind of a rundown of who you are and, and kind of your MO, I man,
1: what you're about. Yeah, I... You know, it's easier to start back. I grew up extremely poor, no running water, no electricity, dirt shack, dirt floor for shack. And we actually got our food out of a dumpster. Every Wednesday after school, we'd go climb in the dumpster, go dumpster diving. That's where we got our food and our clothes. So I left home when I was 15 and learned very quickly from my mentors. I went to work for a funeral home owner. And at 17 years old, I was a licensed funeral home and bomber apprentice in the state of Oregon. So guy was multimillionaire and he started teaching me at 16, 17 years old, the importance of owning real estate, owning your business, doing, I I remember his wife used to show up and every Friday she'd get her $2,000 of petty cash. And that was a lot of money back in, you know, 1987, you know, two grand a week, hundred thousand dollars, petty cash. And so I, I bought my first home when I was 18, and I remember going to to high school, had my own house, and, you know, the <laughs> the cool kids, the rich kids were making fun of me because I lived in the trailer park, you know, and I my reply was, yeah, but you live with your mom, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, it yeah. wasn't as nice as the homes I've owned since, but it was mine, you know, I, I think I paid $15,000 for it lived there three years and I sold it for $15,000, probably something like that. And I just been buying real estate ever since. And (laughs) I owned a property management company. My wife and I both own separate real estate offices in Colorado. And somehow we got involved in property management during the crash. And I started buying these homes for literally a thousand dollars. So the you know they're going into foreclosure. They'd sign over their deed for a thousand bucks. I'd fix their credit so they could buy something else, and I'd rent these houses out. The next thing I knew I owned over a hundred properties. I got to tell you, that was some of the worst years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> let's
0: let's go through that just a minute.
1: Yeah, I had. I, I, think I think at I the know
0: peak, why.
1: at the peak, I had a hundred and twenty-two properties. Almost all of them were in the same little town, you know Colorado Springs, Colorado, so it wasn't like it was spread all over the place. I think we had one up in northern Colorado, but that that was it, and man, what a nightmare that was, dealing with the one hundred and twenty two different tenants with their kids and their dogs and collecting rents and it was just it's something I'd never want to do again. so we sold that company in two thousand and twelve, and I've been. Uh, I started buying other homes and fixing and flipping them, kind of fix and flip, if you will, using my Roth IRA. And I still have some homes that I fix and flip through my Roth IRA, primarily now in Atlanta, Georgia. We have a contract with the U.S. government where we get first pick of all FHA foreclosures. We pick the best ones and then we fix and flip them. But I, I didn't want to do that grind anymore. And that's why I started researching and learning about multifamily apartment complexes. So that, that's what I'm focusing on now is I make my money in the credit repair and then I invest about 70% of it in multifamily and other things.
0: Dude, you just hit on like my what, my favorite hot button, which is the hustle and grind is real. Like when you're doing single family fix and flip stuff, right? I mean, or even, even single family buy and hold like, that's a pain in the ass, man. It really is. It's a lot of work. You've got all those different, uh, you know, yards to mow to take care of all these different tenants. They're in multiple locations. Um, it really is a lot of work, right? It's, it's heavy. Even if you have a management company doing all that, like, they want to charge you an exuberant amount of management fee, which siphons off your profit. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, we just bought 152-unit apartment complex. And like, yeah. are we doing, that? how much work do we put into that? Like, <laughs> I haven't
1: even seen it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I do plan on nice going cool down outfit. there, though, ne- next month and checking it out. <laughs> it, but
0: isn't that the cool, I mean, that's the cool thing about, I, when I say apartments, like, man, it's so much simpler. It, you do not realize that it's the bigger deals you do, it's simpler to get money, it's simpler to get, um to raise to raise capital actually it's, it's easier to raise capital and and, and I want to talk to you about that because you actually raised a lot a lot of money for this deal. And um and really that's what I tapped on you for I was like, hey Ronnie you got a network um you know you've fixed everybody's credit let's, let's see if we can go some capital. And uh I think I mean you came you came home in spades, bro.
1: Yeah, you know it's been it was a lot of fun and I think on Saturday on the next deal I've already so supposedly I got verbal uh commitments to over a million dollars just from Saturday's phone call. So I'm super excited about the next deal. But you know it's it's a lot easier to explain it than a single family deal and and this Saturday I um, I was at my grandson's birthday party and I was my my daughter just moved into this thing and you know I always get that itch to buy these single family homes cuz I got enough money I can pay cash for them but I don't have to do the loan and I was running the numbers in my head. And if I just invested that money with you, not as a sponsor, but just as a, an passive investor, right. I'm still, I was $300,000 ahead in five years versus going and paying cash for three rental properties. And I was telling my wife, I'm like, I don't know why anyone would do single family. I mean, it's sexy, right? You, you can go in there and paint it and landscape it. It's sexy. but I don't care about sex anymore. I, I'm, I'm lazy. I don't want to do all that work. Right. It's, I'd, I'd rather go fly my airplane or go yeah. scuba diving or something.
0: <laughs> and that's the reality. So like, uh, you know, I was just, I was just looking at one of your posts, right? You're like, Hey, I bought this pool of came with 152 units with it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it. <laughs> it made me smile, but I was like thinking about, you know, and, as I was reading through some of the comments, right? So it's like, people don't understand. Like, they're like, oh, 12%. Like, because we, on that deal, we paid 12%, a 6% prep, and then another 6% annualized at the end. It's gonna make a total return to our investors of 12%, right? And like 12% annualized year over year, over year over year, five years in a row. That's a hell of a return, dude. Like, for people that are in like their IRA money that that lazy money, um, that's a good return. And then some people are like, Well, I gotta have twenty. Like there was a comment. I think maybe you even put the comment of like, yeah. Some people say, Oh, I gotta have twenty percent. And meanwhile, they don't find anything.
1: Right. Yeah. It, it, and people literally tell me that they, they gotta have twenty percent. And someone commented sent me a message. She's like, I, I can get you twelve percent. I mean, I can get you twenty-five percent on my deal. Why would I go with you for 12? And I said, hey, that's cool. Send me, send me your deal. I want to look at it. It was in the freaking war zone in Detroit, like burning down buildings and carrying guns to collect rent. You know, you, you got to show up in a SWAT mobile <laughs> with body armor and AR 15s to collect rent. And I told the dude, I'm like, I'm not interested in the war zone, man. I want to somewhere i can go that's clean safe and get 12 percent year after year and sleep like a baby at night and just not even worry about it right
0: i mean let's think about this too like we're raising capital because i think raising capital is always a good subject for for uh, you know everybody that's listening and and you just did that and you're actually raising more for our next deal but like when you're when you're selling a fixed return of you know six percent crap and a six percent and usually that's all our investors will ever make is is 12%. Um you feel like that's hard or not? No. I don't it's think different. it's
1: hard at all. It's different, right? But I, it's I not think, hard. You know, I think the the difference for me is it's new for me in multifamily. And yeah. and people know me as the credit repair guy and the tax guy and the financial coach and TV show and radio show guy. The I've never talked about the real estate side and so They're a little hesitant, but once I, once I show them the flyer and I show them the property and I go over the prospectus and I break it all down, some of these guys are like, well, can I give you more money? You know, I got a lot of money and I think, I think going forward, you know, what we'll fund the last deal. We're going to fund this next deal. I think going forward, I'm just going to send text messages and say, Hey, I got another one. How much you want to invest this time? Same deal as the last time. And I, I think I'll literally send over the wire instructions, and it'll be done. Yep. But it's wow. not hard, but it is—it is, it is time-consuming, especially, especially since we can't just, you know, we live in this society of social media, and where we can just go make a post and blow things up, right? Well, we can't really do that with with the raising FCC. money for these right. private yeah. deals.
0: Right. So it's can't kind of like we can't just say post or deal. We have to have relationships and financial
1: you know, like accredited investors and non-accredited, like there's rules, right? Yeah. And that's what people don't get because I I the AIs get it. If anybody's done private money before, they get it. But now hold on, that, Let's, what what is the AI? Because I know oh, what the hell is an AI. Oh accredited investors. Yes. So the accredited investors get it, the sophisticated investors get it, but The other people don't, and they're like, well, can I just give you a thousand bucks? Or, you know, I I talked to my family this weekend because I really want to help people. You know, I'm bringing my employees in on it, and I'm bringing some of my family, and I was talking to my brother, and he's like, I don't have any money. I said, come up with a thousand bucks. And then when I, he's like, well, how much are you going to make? I said, well, based on our other stuff, you'll make $600. He's like, that's it? I'm like, dude, you only gave me a thousand (laughs) dollars. He's like, oh, that's just not worth it. I'll just spend it on beer. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> you know, right. that's the frustrating part for me. So it's not hard. It's just time consuming, and, and you've got to remember <laughs> they're in this the situation they're in because of the way they think. Well,
0: and now, I, I want to preface something to you, right? So, uh, and I've been raising money for a long, long time, and so the truth is, it gets easier, right? It really gets. You just alluded to it. As you start raising capital, what happens is you start getting a bunch of believers, right? And especially the way we do it, because we we send out those uh, reports every month and they start getting that drip. They start start feeling confident. They start getting their checks on time, right? And once that really starts to happen, about their second check, they are now loyalists. In other words, whatever you say is the truth, right? And it's just a matter of, and it's kind of like, do you got any more, Randy? Yeah. Right. I just want it. Do you have any more? Is all
1: I want to know. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really important that you brought that up. That you send out a monthly report, and I've seen your re- reports on other deals. That you send that thing out, and after the second, third time, they got a check and they got a stack. You know, literally a library full of these reports. Uh, they they see that it's legit, you know, and. Like, I talked to a guy yesterday, and he's like, yeah, I'll give you $100,000. I mean, there was – I just called him up, said I got this deal. He's like, I'll throw $100,000 at it, and if you show me it's, it's real, I, I got a lot more money. And he's a New Yorker, one of those guys that wears his shirt unbuttoned down to his belly button with the big old gold chain. And he was serious. He will throw $100,000 at anything knowing that if he doesn't get it back, it's not going to matter. Right. That's a key point, by the way, right? Key –
0: Takeaway. If anybody's listening right now, Rodney just dropped a freaking bomb because everybody has more freaking money, dude. They don't even tell you. Now, this guy, you know, right? But like the thing is, man, you get someone to dip their foot in the pool, and then once they experience, I'm telling you, everybody has
1: lots more money that they don't even tell you about. And they're Absolutely. just trying to see if you're for real. That that is it. You know, I go get IVs once a week here in Vegas. I'm battle in Lyme disease and the nurse where I go the guy that owns it his name is Siegel he is a billionaire and guess what he buys run down apartment complexes in Las Vegas and he converts them into decent workforce housing they're not special but the dude is younger than me younger than you and he's a multi-billionaire so I was talking with him last night about investing but the nurse She's 25 years old and has over $400,000 in her Roth IRA. She's 25, you know, but yes, her family had money and they started doing the Roth IRA when she was little and they put apartments or, um, uh, eightplexes and duplexes and stuff. So, but you know, she's 25 years old and you would never know that, but she's now looking at it. and She's serious about investing and she's the one that brought it up in front of this billionaire. So it's, you just never know how much money people have and who they know.
0: Man, I I was giving a speech one time in uh, a Ria or something. And I was like, you know, here's the funny thing about money, is we don't we all go walking around and none of us have like a placeholder saying our net worth, right? Because it would scare they would scare the crap out of people. So because you're like, what that guy? Yeah, that that, that guy right there. Like, and because you never know, man. You just never know. How much people, and, and the other part of that is, is how much stinking money is really out there that I think when people, cause like you and me both grow up poor, right? So like we, we've been programmed, unfortunately, right? Programmed to think like poor people. And luckily we've had really good mentors. I, I mean, you just said it. I know I've had really good mentors in my life. You have too, that we've had to reprogram ourselves to be successful because the, Poor man's thinking is like, it's all about my little circle and, and like, you're lucky to have anything and a rich person's vision is way, way more uh, broad. And really it's the principles of money. And when you really realize how much money is out there and it's really looking for people like us, Randy, guilt makers, they cut, ca- they call it cash flow for a reason. It flows yeah. out of people's hands that can't handle it, and it flows into people's hands that know how to make it grow. And that's essentially, I think, what we do as syndicators in raising private money is is you have a concept and a process that we can take money and we give it back to them with some interest. Yep. And the vehicle's real
1: estate. I have a really good friend who's very good friends with Grant Cardone, and guess who he's gonna invest with next month? not uh, not uncle g but <laughs> uncle cory and Ronde. but he says all the time he's like you know if you if you hold on to that money you can't you can't do anything with it you got to let it go and it it's it surprisingly or magically replaces itself with more money you got to send it out into the world to conquer other monies come back with more kids right and oh yeah basically they're your slaves they go out and they conquer other territories and bring back more slaves that have more kids. Yep. But yeah, it's cash flow. Riches, rich, it. rich, 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 Richest well, Man in Babylon, right? What's
0: that? Richest Man in Babylon. That's right. It's a great book. I read it um, every year. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and you just brought up that point too of like, you send money out, right? One of the one of the questions that I, and I want to see what your take is on this, is that, you know, I talk with some fix and flipper guys, right? And, and they're always concerned with Corey, I've got this amount of money right here. This is the money I've been working with. And if I invest it and in, if I tell them to invest in your deal, then I don't have the money, like it's gone. And I just think that's so sad, right? Because what they're saying is, well, they've never had a reason to go out and raise more money. Like they've gotten really comfortable with, oh, I've got like 3 million and I work it. And uh, so they think, they think that if they go and, and give it to me, that they're done. And that's simply not the truth, right? Like, you know, you just raise money from people um, that you have relationships with. And like, there's a real chance that a lot of them are going to give you more. But you got to ask. Like, it's, it's not any harder than that. I mean, asking for capital is not, is not a bad thing. And it's not like, we're not selling. Let's put it that way, right? We, we don't sell our investments like, oh God, you need to buy this, right?
1: We only offer opportunity. I think there's a big freaking difference. You want to talk to that? Yeah, it, and that's the thing is back to raising money. It's not hard. It's time consuming. And I have people that are committing to our next deal that I don't even know. Now now I know them, but when I met them, they asked about it. And I said, hey, we got to build a relationship. We got to date first, right? Yeah. But back to the the other part of what you were saying was, when you have money sitting in your checking account, you can get fat and lazy and com- complacent and comfortable. And I did a podcast recently with Brad Lee, and we were talking about that, where one of the things that Grant Cardone says on a regular basis is stay broke. And I, I truly believe that. And what, he's me- what he means by that is the moment you have enough money to go do another deal, spend it all, mm-hmm. because then it keeps you hungry.
0: I reinvest and, all my money.
1: Yeah. Like, I mean, I, one of my brothers recently asked me for some money. I'm like, bro, I don't have any. I'm broke. He's like, how can you be broke? I said, I just bought a $9.6 million swimming pool in Yuma, Arizona. <laughs> right? And i don't got no money
0: left. People ask me all the time, right? And, and now I have to keep a certain amount of liquidity around. But like, other than that liquidity that I have to have for banks to give me loans, I put the rest of everything I own in my game because I'm
1: about the cash flow. So like you don't, you know, that money just sits there and it's not doing anything. It's not, it becomes lazy money. Right. And And I can't stand the thought of it and comfortable. And when you're complacent and comfortable, you're not growing. And if you're not growing, you're dying. Yeah. Hey, let's talk about something that I
0: know you're going to love to talk about (laughs) taxes. Oh man. Right. Yeah. That's, that's it. One part of real estate is like cash flow. But there's another part of real estate that not many understand, but the ones that do, I mean, this is a big a big play, man. Yeah. For me, it's a big play. Because Corey Peterson does not pay taxes. I'm sure Rondi doesn't pay taxes either. No. Right. But like
1: that's because we're smart. Talk to it, baby. Yeah. A few weeks ago, or I should say recently, I was in a Starbucks and it was either the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post, and I, I don't remember which one it was, but the headline was, Trump's son-in-law hasn't paid taxes in over a decade.
0: Yeah, like five or ten years, yes.
1: Yeah, I read And it. he's bought over $3 billion of real estate. And has a net worth of $350 million, something like that, and hasn't paid taxes at all. And they made it like a hit piece. Let's, let's like, yeah, they made it, it look there. like he was a criminal. Yeah. You know, because that sells papers. Right. And, and I, when I talk to people, and, you know, I, I work with a lot of celebrities and stuff, and, and and that's what they're coming to me for. It's not really the credit, it's to learn how do I make millions of dollars a year, like you talk about that you do. And last year, Corey, I paid $13,000 in tax yeah thirteen thousand total, <laughs> which is ridiculous compared to the almost eight figures that I earned that I paid thirteen grand. But how did I do that? It's through depreciation, and now this year, I'm not going to pay any taxes at all. Now, I do pay self-employment tax on my salary, and I pay okay. multi-six- figure taxes for all my employees. And this is why the government, they, they reward you for doing what they reward you for that. They reward you for doing what they want you to do. The government wants you to be wealthy. And I didn't believe this for a long time, but now I do. The government wants you to be wealthy. The government wants you to prosper. And if you do what they want you to do, you don't pay taxes. And the people that don't do what they want you to do, they pay all the taxes, right? So what yes. do they want you to do? They want you to provide housing for people housing. that can't afford to buy. Yes. And if you do that, they reward you by offsetting your income. And dude, if you do it right, that's why I love what we do because we buy
0: 70s and 80s types of products, right? They don't even build those properties anymore, right? And you can take those types of deals. Now it's not section eight. We don't like, to, I don't like personally do section eight. I like open market, call it workforce housing, Right and provide clean, affordable living, dude, you can always keep those things rented up full. And, um, and then
1: uncle Sam gives you a nice reward. Very. And they just changed the tax law, by the way. I know. Yeah. It's, it's good. And you know, and there's some other things that you can do that uncle Sam will reward you on, but it's risky, you know, like drilling for oil wells, you get tax credits, but you get credits because you could lose every single dime you have with this sexy money, and so I like the safe, secure, just the good, steady. It's like in high school, you know, that good, steady girlfriend that was always around for you. You know, not. The- I like to relate it to cars, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always say, listen, you know that uh, that Lamborghini. It looks nice. It <laughs> shifts good. It's quick, or let's call it
1: the Ferrari. <laughs> I'm I'm technically in the Ferrari Club. The Ferrari Club is when you buy a Ferrari and you have to go get it repaired all the time.
0: Right. But like, so like you know, sometimes, you know, those are the, the risky, like they turn the corner, but like speed can kill. It, okay, yeah. I yeah. feel like what we do is more like the Cadillac, right? Right. <laughs> the ride's smooth, right? It ain't gonna go too fast. It's got nice suspension. You don't feel the bumps, right? But you just kind of get on your way and you arrive to your destination, you know, safe and secure, right? And um, at least that's my analogy on cars yeah. to what we do into the, um, you know, apartments. And, and here's the best part about that is, like when you have 152 people living in one spot, one yard, right, one pool, like it's easy to manage. And in fact, we have staff, people, right, that manage our properties for us, like the real people that live, that work. And we make our property managers live on site same with our managers. They live on sites. So they have to own their work. And then we still have enough profit left over to pay a management company to really manage the people. And then all we do, Randy, is manage the people that manage the people. We manage the managers. Yeah. Well, that's high level. That's what really owners should be doing is making big decisions on like slight course corrections. That's all we got to do. We've hired the right team to do the big lift, right? We spent more time and energy. I know I spent a lot of time and energy in finding the correct manager, the correct, you know, systems and procedures. Once you've done that, then it's a matter of wash, rinse and repeat, right? Once we find a deal, that's why we're buying this next deal. It's not even hard. Like we just closed a $10 million deal and we're going to go buy another $10 million deal. And like nothing's going to break.
1: That's amazing, right? Like that's fun. Yeah, and and that's that's the thing is it's when I had the hundred twenty two properties and two three people living in the in each one and the yards, hundred twenty two roofs and toy. It's just a nightmare. Versus one location, everything's the same. You know, it's just so much easier. And let's talk about credit repair tax write offs too. By the way.
0: Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Let's talk about credit repair too, because I want to make sure like we have a good good amount of listeners and they could be having credit issues because credit is important. You know, how do I buy multifamily properties? Um, I have good credit. Now they don't look as hard as your credit, but it's still very important to have business credit, to have uh, your personal credit cleaned up. And Randy, that's, that's like your bread and butter. You like, you rock that out. That's, that's your bread and butter right there.
1: Yeah. You know, I say this all the time on my show, it's so much easier to become wealthy with good credit because when you have good credit, the banks will throw money at you and you can just do a lot more with it. And you know, there's people out there that say never buy a house, always rent, save all your money until you can put, you know, hundred grand on an apartment complex. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I think you should start out and, and start buying single family home, live in it, flip it, you know, exchange kind of like the monopoly thing, buy four houses and trade in, right? Yeah. Well, it's pretty difficult to do that if your credit sucks so bad that you can't even get a credit card, you know, or you you can't get a car, whatever. So credit is so important and we're not living in the 1950s where everything's on a handshake. Now the handshake is your credit score. Yes. And it's accurate. It's so accurate that FICO, what they're doing is they're predicting the future of you having a major derogatory item on your credit over the next two years. That is what your score is. And they've done literally hundreds of billions of scores. That's why the majority of the banks throughout the world trust FICO's because they're good at predicting the future. And that's that's all your score means is what is the likelihood of you paying on time? And it has nothing to do with if you're a good person it has nothing to do with the color of your skin your sex where you work your job how much money you make it's solely based on the likelihood of you paying your bills on time what's your risk right what's what's the risk and when i when i talk about this if you if you write down 300 to 850 so if you're listening to this and you're not in a car, write down 300 to 850. That's the FICO score model or the FICO range, 300 to 850. If you put a period between the two zeros on 300 and put a period between the five and the zero on 850, so it's 30.0 and 85.0, and then you put a percentage sign between those two numbers, so it's 30% and 85%, That's how the banks look at you. If you have a 300 credit score, there's a 30% chance you're going to pay them. If you have an 850 credit score, there's an 85% chance you're going to pay. And if you think about it that way versus just an arbitrary number, that's what the banks are looking at. They want a 74% or higher chance of being paid back. Dude, that's
0: great, dude. That is
1: Yeah, that's what it means. Now, is that exact science? No. I am trained by FICO. I'm a FICO certified credit professional. But is it legit? I mean, is it common? science? No, but it's fairly accurate. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, think about it now. If you got a 660 versus someone's got a 740, who who are you going to loan the money to? And then it's not even the money. 70% of all employers will check your credit prior to offering you a job. It is everything now, right? Like your credit is is everything. Your car insurance. You know, and what people don't realize is how much we're paying for insurance on these apartment complexes, which is hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're pulling your credit. They're going to look at it and they're going to base your premiums on your credit score. And your insurance company actually on your car loans or your car insurance, they actually pull your credit twice a year. Life insurance, they pull it. Health insurance, they pull it. The employers will pull it. And employers, they don't know how to read credit. So they get, you know, one kid's got a 400 credit score. One's got 800. Well, they know 800 is better. So that's who gets the job. Right. Even though maybe it's not the kid's fault that he's got a 400. He just never got into debt. He just had an old medical collection. They don't know how to read credit reports. They just look at scores. So it yeah. it impacts every single aspect of our life. Yeah. What do you say? Like when you? Yeah. Because
0: like when you don't need money, that's when everybody wants to throw it at you, right? And when you desperately need money, no one wants to give it to you. And so, I mean, that's that's my average, right?
1: Yeah. So, think about it. That, you know, when I explain this to people, and they're like, "Oh, my credit score is not that bad. It's a six twenty. Well, that's horrible. Yeah, because nothing opens up till you hit 700. Yeah, and they're like, well, I don't need it right now. I pay cash for everything. Well, that's great. What happens when your car gets, you know, rear ended by a drunk driver, uninsured driver? You know, it happens 100 times a day here in Las Vegas. W- what are you going to do then? You know, that your beater just got trashed. You know, but credit is so important in, in today's society, and it literally tells the banks what kind of person you are. And how you're going to take care of your future bills and your, and and then go back to the other side on it with where, with uh, our property management company, yeah, pulling credit, you know, on all the tenants, right? The good news to all of this is, regardless of what's on your credit file, whether it's bankruptcy, a judgment, a tax lien, a repossession, a charge off, collection, late payment, anything, can be removed from the credit report. Anything right. can be removed. It's just whether or not you want to have it removed. And some people with the 620 credit score, they're like, I don't need it. I pay cash. Well, you can't get fire insurance when your house is on fire. Right. You can't get car insurance after someone totaled your car. You need to have good credit. So when you don't need it, the banks throw money. I, I literally get checks in the mail Almost every single day, Corey, offering me money. 0% for 18 months. I got one today. It was 0%, 18 months, up to $30,000. Just sign my name and send it in. They send me $30,000. Almost every single day because I have great credit and cash flow and all that stuff. But it's important because if you really want to become wealthy faster than the slow way, Credit is is a key part of that. Well,
0: the more I get in debt, I, you know, I, I like Robert or um, who am I thinking of? Dave, Dave Ramsey. Ramsey. Yep. You know, Model per se for my personal life. I want to try to stay out of personal debt as much as possible. But for my business, for my company, man, the more I get in debt, the more I make. Now, it's still a double edged sword. Most people do not understand about leverage and the importance. Some people really truly over leverage to the point where they have a house of cards, right? Um, and we buy properties based on cash flow. And so the real story for for that I tell is when um, I first started in real estate, 2005, I was buying rental properties in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then I ran out of money. My first, the first my first problem was I ran out of money, didn't know how to raise private money like I do now, and I created, uh, so I got as a financial advisor. Well, then the market crashed, and guess what? I still own my Tulsa properties because they cash flow, and cash flow is what makes it work, right? And so, like, um, I, I just I look into that thing. It's like, so in my personal personal life, try to stay out of debt. Most of my stuff is paid for. Actually, some of my cars uh, are not, but like. You know, credit card debt, we just pay off our credit cards. We use our credit cards like a tool, right? And that's about points, right? It's like, how many points can I get? Because they give you
1: money for free if you use yeah. their card. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I like Dave as far as your personal. I don't agree with anything whatsoever when he opens his mouth about credit. Yeah. Because he, anything he says about credit, just do the opposite. No, it's right? bad. It's bad. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. It's but necessary. It, it, it's, bec- it's his audience of people that he's talking to. He's well, talking true. to creditholics. You know, and that's yes. that would be like going to AA and them saying, well, it's okay to have, you know, beer here and there. No, they say you can't have beer at all anymore because you're an alcoholic. And he's talking to creditholics. And that's why yeah. he says no credit.
0: Exactly. Now everybody picks that up and says, Oh, but well, this is but you gotta understand like I mean, always like the lens of what you look look at through things, right? So you gotta be real cognitive of what is the audience that the person because when they're author like doing
1: a show, he's doing a show for money. Yeah. That's, that's how he how makes it. Can you imagine if if he would have leveraged this five million dollar house and got a loan on it? I mean, it's all public record. Right? i mean it would just completely destroy his business so he he's got to live the lifestyle that he talks now i do the same thing i i have zero debt zero debt that someone else does not pay for now is there a loan on you know some of my cars yeah but i don't pay the payment my companies pay the payment yes right and i i know you got a loan on the truck but you're not paying the payment on that my company is your company's paying it
0: Right? Same thing with my
1: airplane. I don't make the payment. The company pays for the airplane. And so I think in your personal life, especially with credit cards, you pay them off in full every month. On the business side, you leverage it responsibly, and it's all based on cash flow. So when the market corrects, it doesn't matter. You saw that post today where they, Oh yeah. Yeah. The
0: guy's like, Oh, the market's going to crash.
1: Yeah. And it's, it's extremely dangerous to buy apartments somewhere. And he's like, people here in California are, there are the foreclosure left around. I'm like, yeah, cause you're in California.
0: <laughs> it was amazing. Cause it was like, listen, that's why I'm, like, we avoid California like the plague Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cause you can't, it doesn't make sense to invest in California. Now there's a lots of other States where it's really good to invest in. And like, Listen, here's the real truth. People don't understand this, but if they are under, like when the market does crash again, and it will sometime, right? Understand the economics because we own properties that are very, what I call value add. Like it is not the Taj Mahal. They're workforce housing, they're clean, they're affordable and they're nice. And we have A-class a property management, right? In a C-class building. And so if you ever got squeezed, if the market got squeezed and you're and you're a renter, because renters are renters are renters, whether renting at the Taj Mahal or my workforce housing. And, if, and when the market gets bad, you are going to get out of your lease, out of the Taj Mahal, because that's a lot of money. And you're like, ooh, I can go rent to, And you're going to be coming to my place, my affordable housing. And guess what I'm going to do? Because I have so much demand, I'm going to raise my rents. When the market crashes, I will put money down and say, Corey Peterson and all of my investors and all my people that are with me, we are going to experience an increase in revenue. That's,
1: Absolutely. That and that's, that's and that's the thing is they move out of the two thousand dollar month Taj Hall that's got the beautiful water slides and the saunas and all that other garbage, which is really cool, right? But we don't yeah. have that because when the market When and not even the real estate market, but when the economy changes, they're going to move out of that place and they're going to move into ours. And they might move out of two of those places and move into ours, and yeah, and split the rent, right?
0: Yeah, and it's still cheaper. It's still value, and we can probably say, "Oh gosh, there's a twenty five dollar bump that we can get because we have so much demand at our property." Yeah, because like we, the new places can't. Compete with us? We are so much cheaper because i When you're built in the '70s and the '80s, I mean, let's let's face it, you can't build a, a property like ours for for what we paid for it.
1: Yeah, it I had someone today message me about Boise, Idaho. Is there two weeks ago, and he's like, "Man, you should come here and look." And I said, "Man, I've been looking there, but it, it's like four four caps. You know, it, there's no way you can make any money on those deals because they're all brand spanking new." Yeah. And they're all class A brand new buildings. And that's that's the REITs. REITs make that Yeah, game, That's why I told him right? I said those are all REITs buying that stuff.
0: Yeah, that's not us. That's like that's not the model, right? And so, but like that kind of money is stupid. Like it can A, their cost of capital is so much cheaper. Like, listen, we pay a really good solid return of twelve percent. That's good money. Ask how much a REIT pays. Like it's like three percent, four percent, three or four percent. Yeah. yeah, when they're borrowing capital at three or four percent, you have so much more buying power. You can do deals that we can never touch, right? And um, but now, ask ask me this: How much like oversight, or like how horrible are REIT buyers? Because they're usually Wall Street jockeys. They're not deal makers. I think that's the difference between the street. And like in Wall Street, is that and Main Street investors like you and I, Rondi, is that they, they don't have the nibbleness to understand what a deal is, what a deal's not. They just look at some other stuff, other factors that I would never understand. And they're like, well, we got to place this money.
1: And um, and so yeah, some of it is you know bad choices. It's the mutual funds and the ETFs and stuff, and and they're trying to they're trying to protect their losses. So they'll pay you 3% in the REIT to offset the 3% that the mutual fund's going to lose, and so in the end, it balances out. It's a diversified fund, and, you know, the king of all all trading will tell you not to diversify. You know, Warren Buffett, he he doesn't tell you to diversify. He says put all your eggs in one basket and then watch the basket very close, (laughs) right? A lot of people (laughs) think that Warren – I'm going to go down a little rabbit hole. A lot of people think Warren made all of his money, makes his money from the stock market, and that's not really true. He, he makes it by buying companies, breaking them apart, and or making them better. Like look at Dairy Queen, right? He made billions of dollars uh, with Dairy Queen because it was failing, so he bought it, put in the right management. Like we were talking about earlier, you got the Class A prop or the Class C properties with Class A management that live there that keep the place functional where we manage the managers who manage the property. The they're, property. they're building Gary Queens again. Like, I mean, yeah. they just book one in my neighborhood. Like for a long time, that was
0: a stagnant brand, right? Yep. Very stagnant. Um, not so much anymore. They're like, they're finding little ways to, to win. And, and, and that's, that's
1: where, you know, that reit money is it's stock market money to hedge their losses is really what yeah. it is. It's kind of like yeah. gold. You know, you don't buy gold, Thinking you're gonna make a bunch of money. I, I did a show on this recently, and someone said gold's a bad idea. And my response was, "Well, that's like saying about you know buy, buying a bag of broccoli, putting it in the freezer, and then open it thinking there's gonna be more broccoli in there. That, that's not how it works. <laughs> it's a bag of broccoli. It's a bag of gold, and it's a REIT. It's not gonna make you rich, but it will right. be there.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good, a great analogy. Well, listen, dude, so let's talk about." Uh, Real quickly, we'll talk about uh your podcast. So uh, how do people get to know Ronde? How do they get involved? Uh, and if they want credit repair, um, how can they follow you, brother?
1: It's rondylambeth.com. That's R O N D I Lambeth.com. So that's my personal website. Facebook is obviously it's just Facebook forward slash Ronde Lambeth, Twitter's Ronde Lambeth, Instagram's Ronde Lambeth, LinkedIn is Ronde Lambeth, and then the show the the new podcast because I did a, an actual radio station show for seven years. Um, at my peak, it was on 400 stations nationwide. I took a couple years off and now I'm rebranding. I actually have a brand new show coming out on November 3rd called the school of wealth. Yes. And the show is all about creating generational wealth, increasing your credit score, decreasing your waistline and increasing your sex life with your spouse to make your marriage better right so we we got the whole thing and you just said it all dude yeah we i've already done five episodes it's pre-recorded next month i have a multi-billionaire one of the original uh, founders of microsoft he's going to be on the show and i got some really cool people lined up and it's it's not about me it's I'm going to talk about the credit side of it, but like the, you know, you're going to be on it where you have a lot more experience about multifamily than I do, and so you're going to talk about that, and Naveen's going to talk about building multi-billion dollar companies. Uh, He, he, talk about losing money. On Sunday night, he was worth $32 billion, and when he woke up in the morning, he was worth two. He lost $30 billion overnight. But he's come back from that. He, his company, it was Infosystems, It actually was the start of the tech bubble burst. It was his company that caused that whole thing. They didn't cause it, but his company was the first one to, to break. But that's what the show's about. It's the school of wealth. If you go anywhere on social media, it's just Rondi Lambeth. I'm not very hard to find. If you put in my name on Google, it's pretty easy. To find me. Sam <laughs> Waffare,
0: Rondi is everywhere. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Cool, brother. Well, listen, man. Uh, so, dude, I want to take the time to say thank you for coming on my show. I know you got a lot of things to do and, and for you to share your time with us is important. And, um, you know, as anybody that's listening and watching this podcast, you know, as I always say, there's lots of ways to make money, but real estate seems to make the most sense. You can get tax benefits. You can, um, I mean, there's just so many ways to make money in this game. And truly, I believe it's in the multifamily space. Um, but also, I want to give you this set is the power of your mind. I truly, truly believe that no matter where you start, if you're dumpster diving to go get clothes and food like Rondi, right? Yep. And that's a real story. You grew up on the farm like Corey Peterson, broke and poor. Or you come from, I mean, that's extreme, right? Or, hey, listen, you, you grew up in a family that's great doesn't matter. But the difference is the power of your mind. What's in between these two ears and what you tell yourself daily, I promise you will be the difference. Because I believe when you believe it, you can achieve it. And your paradise is possible.